Welcome to Leadership Web, a podcast series from the University of Arkansas that exposes listeners to a wide range of perspectives on leadership. Through interviews with current leaders, Leadership Web strives to provide tools for you to either begin building your own or continue improving your existing leadership framework. We believe that there is no one single path to successful leadership, but that we can all learn from each other on our own leadership journeys. Today we are joined by Dr. Kim Needy, the Dean of Graduate School and International Education at the University of Arkansas. Her top five values are service, respect, authenticity, integrity, and making a difference. We're very pleased to have Dr. Kim Needy with us today, and I just kind of want to go in talking a little bit about how long I've known Dr. Needy. She and I have been friends professionally and as obviously friends for many years. We worked both in industrial engineering, and way before we had this Arkansas connection, we were running with a lot of the same people. And, and I know for one, I've always sat back and marveled at Kim's accelerated advancement in her career. And certainly, I know you'll talk more about it, Kim, your hard work, your, uh, your willingness to not ask people to do anything that you would do in the first place. And, and you made a big impression on me and realizing sometimes I need to check on some of these things that you really are strong in. Kim has had a uh, great career. She's worked in industry at PPG as well as Boeing. And it was during the Boeing experience we discovered your love for teaching and then later discovered the love that we all share for students and then went on and pursued her uh, PhD while working at night, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. And then ultimately took her first faculty position at the University of Pittsburgh. And then we had the good fortune of getting here here at the University of Arkansas as the head of industrial engineering, which is a job I know pretty well, by the way. As I exited here came one of my very best friends coming in, replacing me, and so I, I felt really happy about that. So, Kim, in, in preparing for today, uh, we've asked each person we talked to to kind of give a little advanced thinking about their core values. And you've given us five really good ones, and I bet you had more that you could have listed. One is being service, one is being respect, one is an authenticity, another is an integrity, and then the other is making a difference. And so we're just going to kind of peel the layers back on that, Kim, and uh, have you just kind of speak on how, like let's take service for example for the first one, how how you came to terms with that is something, and I see it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. working with you as your colleague, you have a servant's heart. And, and but, and, you know, how you got to this point in your career realizing that's the kind of leader that you wanted to be? Well, it happened really quite by accident, but kind of evolved. And I realized that this idea of service or servant leadership was really kind of a core value that I had. So, while, a, while I was a student and while I was an early professional, I got involved at an early stage in professional societies and the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineering, the American Society for Engineering Management. And what these professional societies did while I was even a student and a young professional was allow me to get involved with other professionals and it allowed me to start gaining management and leadership experience in what I would call a safe environment because I was a volunteer 
and I was putting in effort. It was safe in the sense because no one really fires you if you do a bad job. They encourage you to do better and learn from your mistakes, but it's really a pretty safe environment. And working with volunteers is not easy because at the end of the day, you have to use a lot of persuasion to encourage them to do things. Typically, volunteers are very, very busy people. Mm -hmm. And so you have to encourage them to do things and you have to find win-wins. You know, why would they want to spend extra time doing something? So these skills in the end became very, very useful and powerful, especially in academia when you're a leader and you're working with faculty. You know, the, the adage that leading a group of faculty is like herding cats or something, right? You're working with very intelligent, very entrepreneurial, independent people who don't necessarily like to be told what to do. And so the ability to lead them to where you think you need to go through finding the win-win, finding the common good, reaching consensus, having them participate in that decision-making is very powerful. And so a lot of those skills I learned through kind of this servant leadership and through serving others. And last count, I believe through your service, and many times people misunderstand fellow status, fellow level membership in a professional organization is an award, but it's actually, I know from ours, it's really about service. And the last count, Dr. Needy is fellow of three yes. professional organizations, and uh, two of which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then also ASEE, your yes. fellow there. And that's yes. come about through service activities yes and yes. ultimately leadership because you ended up being president of IISC our industrial engineering mm-hmm. professional organization yes and the ASEM I was uh, the past AS- president of that's that also. right that's yes, right so too outstanding yeah so it has to play an important role because that's great on service leadership we hear so much about that but I would have to think respect is a big part of that too. I know as fellow past mm-hmm. department heads we have to have really deep respect for our colleagues, and it's not just superficial by biting your tongue. I don't know if you could share some examples, because that's your second core value that you list is respect. And uh, I don't know, maybe you could enlighten us on some examples where where that is really, you've seen that in action. I think the best example for me was that as one accumulates credentials, right, you're earning greater and greater respect, you're smarter, you've accomplished something that doesn't mean anything. You know, when you walk into a classroom, right, especially there's a group of students there, and so they do not necessarily automatically assume and grant that respect to you. You have to earn that. And so one of the things that has been successful for me is this idea of mutual respect. And so I want to be respectful of my students, simple example of that is arriving to class on time, being prepared, being organized, communicating effectively with them, and then that in part sets that culture in the classroom and having them then return that back to me. As I've changed uh, roles more recently from the department head in industrial engineering moving over in to the graduate school in international education, you kind of reset it back to zero. It's like, here I am. 
but no one has necessarily worked with you on that level. They're watching, they're listening, they're observing. And so you need to really earn that respect back with them. But I have found that if you give respect, you will get respect. And it's led me in that way. That's tremendous. I think we need to be ever mindful of, in their management principle, uh, we can have the position, but then we have to earn, earn the respect. Earn yes. the respect, which drives the stature. Yes, and, and and something that's also really very powerful for me is that I think that respect is so much about upward and downward. So people, you know, tend to get, well, I need to respect people above me and I need to respect my peers. I really strive to show respect to everybody from the top to the bottom and staff, students, you know, they're, they're often not given the respect that they deserve. We have staff members that work so hard and just thanking them, respecting them goes such a long way and creates a lot of loyalty while you're doing it. Spot on. That's excellent. So service and respect those are critically important to leadership today. It's interesting, the next two have authenticity and then you have integrity. I think on the surface, when most people think about it, they might say, well, those sound like almost the same, but mm-hmm. they're really not mm-hmm. the same. And so if you don't mind, if we kind of talk about both authenticity as well as integrity and how they are really completely different and how they're so critically important to, to leadership. So by being authentic, to me, that means being real being a person you know the idea that at the end of the day we're all people you know we have our professional lives and then at home you know we're doing dishes (laughs) cleaning up afterwards you know we have those jobs and being a parent as well I'll say why doesn't anyone at home listen to me because when I go home they listen to me you know (laughs) that kind of thing and I like to acknowledge I am human, I'm happy I'm human, I admit that I make mistakes, I make many mistakes, I want to acknowledge to others that I make mistakes, and it's okay to make mistakes. In most cases, mistakes uh, such that they can't be corrected, right? So we can learn from our mistakes, we can try not to make those mistakes again, those kinds of things. And and the other way that kind of authenticity plays out to me is that I freely admit that in most every situation, I am not the smartest person in the room, right? And so I value that as a team. I, I love working in teams. I love working in groups. I love consulting with others. It's rare that I make decisions independently. So it's not that I can't make them independently. It's that I recognize that better decisions come about when you get input because none of us have every perspective that there is. And so to me, being authentic is to admitting to mistakes, admitting that other people know more about something, and I'm okay with that. That doesn't intimidate me that doesn't make me feel inferior or whatever and so being authentic in that way is what I strive to do being real integrity then is about honoring commitments it's about doing 
the right thing even when no one else is looking and no one might know because when you do the right thing it creates a habit so you're you're habitually you're going to do the right thing and so whether people are watching or not watching you do the right thing people can trust you your word is good and to me being in having integrity is a, is about that and that's how I, those are different but really uh, connected the same way and I can tell the audience that being a friend so for many years of Kim Needy, if she tells you she's going to do something, she's going to do it. I try. Well, or, or give us updates. <laughs> or give you updates. <laughs> yeah, like, no, update. I'm, like, a little late. I'm trying really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, and, and back to the authenticity too. I mean, wow, what a great point. That you know, how many times in personal as well as professional moments, when somebody just says two words, "I'm sorry," or three words, I made a mistake. Well, mm-hmm. there's nothing it, that goes beyond disarming. It's just like, okay. Okay. Where do we go from here? Where what? do we go from here mm-hmm. now? That is wonderful leadership. So something that I heard in your previous answer when talking about authenticity is that you loved working in groups. Yes. And I think that is not a tremendously common statement, especially for undergraduates in classroom settings and, and such things like that. Could you maybe expand on that a little bit, preferably tying one of your values into the kind of your discussion of of how you thrive off of that setting and how you really do enjoy it? Well, I think because I worked in industry before going to academia for about nine years, you quickly realize that most problems, certainly interesting problems and problems that are important problems, are too large, too messy, too complicated for any you know, one individual to be able to, to solve it. And so working in industry, I was always on teams and not just with engineers, but with teams of people in supply chain and teams of people in logistics and people from accounting and marketing and just kind of all other areas people who were younger, people who were older, you know, men, women, and and you realize that through all of that, it's very rewarding because I learn from other people. I see that they're approaching it from, you know, another perspective. And so I think that's just really very powerful. That's fantastic. And I think that's probably leads really nicely into your fifth value, which is making a difference because I agree with you, and I think John would too, that really if you do want to make a difference, you can't do that necessarily alone, especially not leveraging it fully. Yeah, absolutely. Leadership can be lonely. (laughs) Leadership can be really so much responsibility, terrifying. At the end of the day, what I always say is that I'm given this amazing responsibility, and my goal is to make it better. You will turn the reins over to somebody at another point in time, and I would like somebody to say, well, she didn't get it all done. <laughs> she, maybe she made a few mistakes, but when we look back, things are better. We're in a better place and it leaves something there's always something for the next person to do to carry it kind of to the to the next step and so making a difference is what it's all about and 
when you make a difference, you realize that other people are growing, other people are gaining um, skills. And so it's so rewarding. You know, like I used to always say, um, one of the courses I taught for many years was senior design projects. And I remember these students coming in as freshmen and I see them leaving as seniors and professionals. And the metamorphosis is just amazing. And it gives you such a great difference. And so you're making a difference we're creating better engineers. We're creating people to solve tomorrow's problems because I'm not going to be around to do that. So this is, you know, kind of the fountain of youth, right? This is how your profession lives on is through others and through empowering uh, them. Very rewarding. I love being in academia, and that was kind of part of this move. It's an awesome responsibility, and I don't take it lightly. It's a wonderful blessing to get to be a faculty member. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and we never age. And it's that metamorphosis <laughs> is always the we. The students aren't aging. Institutionally, <laughs> institutionally, we're not aging. Yeah. So the average, because we had a whole bunch of 18 to 20 year olds, and that metamorphosis continues every year. So Kim, this is outstanding. Service, respect, authenticity, integrity, and then kind of the the culminating aspect of making a difference, absolutely inspirational. One of the things that Andrew and I, as members of the white male category in a male-dominated field, we would greatly appreciate if you could, for our listeners, shed some insights and wisdom on your experiences, what you've learned, uh, maybe some caveats of inspiration for our listeners that might benefit from something you've through because Andrew and I can't cover this one. Being a woman in what I would call male-dominated profession has its challenges. The way that I approached it early in my career is I've always felt of myself as I'm an engineer first, I'm a woman second. And that has led me to, I think, a really harmonious role with my male colleagues. I kind of recognize that maybe I'm not the only one uncomfortable in the setting being one of the few females, that the males may be a little uncomfortable or intimidated, who knows, by me because they're like, oh, we need to maybe react differently or, or talk differently or whatever. So. I've always tried to acknowledge that that discomfort may perhaps swing both ways. And I've never been afraid when there's an uncomfortable situation to first have a conversation with someone. And I don't think I've ever had to take it to the next step. I find that people, at least in my experience, usually are just completely unaware that maybe they're doing something that may not be as comfortable for women. And so the situation goes away in that regard. Now, I also have had the awesome opportunity of working with other female colleagues. That's been amazing as well and really very welcome. I will share one challenge that I had and and something that just took me by complete uh, surprise. And so I have had the experience in my career where other women who I thought would be supportive of me were in fact not. And so there's this phenomenon called um, the Queen Bee Syndrome. And 
I hadn't heard of it until I experienced it. And then I said, oh, that's, I think, what this is. And so this occurs when another female is, if you will, in competition, the idea of the beehive, there's one queen bee and there can only be one. And so fortunately, I've only um, had that situation happen one time. And the irony of the situation is that this was a female colleague and so we didn't hit it off very smoothly at first but as time went on this colleague needed some assistance from me see the irony of this you know it comes back to bite you and sometimes and she needed some assistance from me and uh, my strategy was to be very helpful and very positive and we are actually friends now okay so and I don't believe that I've ever really kind of had this conversation with her but you know we've overcome it and we've moved to a better place and so when I'm in situations you know I I had the fortune of meeting um, Madeline Albright and she has this saying and I'm not going to get it precisely right but she said something like there's a special place in hell for women who won't help other women. And I love that. And so I really have tried to help all of my colleagues, but recognize sometimes that women have extra questions, needs, situations that maybe a male colleague cannot relate to. So I try to be there for them, whether it is about work-life balance or about working professionally in a diverse atmosphere, et cetera, to try to help in that way. Outstanding. Dr. Needy, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. It's kind of weird calling you Dr. Needy because you're my good friend, Kim. Your leadership is greatly valued here at the University of Arkansas, and I, for one, have seen the wake of improvements that occurred behind you. Thank you for taking the time to give us some insights on what you hope near and dear to you and appreciate the time you spent with us today it's been my pleasure and good luck on your project it's a really worthwhile effort thank Thank you. you thank you thank you for joining leadership web today we hope that you found insight and guidance on leadership tools from this interview please join leadership web in two weeks as we explore another leader's leadership journey also Follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn by searching Leadership Web.